The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as entertainment and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. This is Keep Your Hat On, a show by three nerdy nobodies and one nerdy kind of somebody about nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is brought to you by the Narrow Band Broadcast Network, NBBN. The focus is on you. By PodSquadPDX.com, painless podcasting. And by the kind support of KYHO fans everywhere through Patreon. Patreon, create on your own terms. Come and ride up. Still one hat down, the remaining three horsemen of the rolling apocalyptic pandemic shitstorm bring you dead people. Gee, guys, leading with fun this season, huh? After the death ledger, we spin the wheel of topic roulette. This is apparently Andy's way of apologizing for killing off Betty White. I'm your vivacious announcer, Mr. Brumage, and for the record, on shot first. Greedo was a conniving little Rodian bitch anyway. Anywho, bringing out the dead, here's Winkin, Blinkin, and as always, Nod. And hello, welcome to Keep Your Hat On, the show where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. Of course, I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friends, Ty Robert Anthony hey. and Christopher Vacano. Bonjour. And we are, once again, Dr. Mark peterson Liss. He is off uh, pursuing domestic bliss and or a uh, new ukulele project with people. <laughs> but uh, how's everybody doing? How's the, the intervening week in some, Ben? Doing really good. Been uh, the, the week's been super busy, but uh, you know the sun's out today. Just in a good mood. Yeah, we are having a we are having a very uh, a, a very rare, absolutely sunny, lovely Sunday in uh, January, which here in the Pacific Northwest is kind of unheard of. Yeah, is it is yeah. it just me, or did last week and this week, including the sunshine, just kind of make you feel like spring is here? I know. I felt it's that certainly teasing. I was just going to say what I felt was that feeling of the great lie that we all get here <laughs> in Portland <laughs> right. when this happens in January, and you just kind of feel like you're being sold a bill of goods. Oh, see, and, <laughs> and just, that one that one hits me hard because growing up in Denver, we would always get we would get proper spring. And then it would be snatched away at the end yeah. of May with a late snowstorm, and yeah, this it is, would this wipe out all the spring. flowers. And yeah. yeah, yeah, I just always pictured it as like <sighs> Mother Nature is just being a prankster and going into the room and flipping the light switch on and right? off real quick. <laughs> yeah, getting lulled into a false sense of spring to wake us up. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it's it's been lovely here, and uh, it's been beautiful and. Actually, apparently, this is like the warmest winter uh, the whole nation has had on record for years. Yeah, thanks, years. global warming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, well, you know, it's it's not real. 
<laughs> no, it's all fake. Nothing affects our flat disk of a planet like that. It's not, <laughs> right. Uh, or was all, it yesterday or the day before Big Sur uh, got breached by a Yeah, fire. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. That's Yeesh. not that's not great. No, we that got a bunch a of there's a, I will say there's been a bunch of weird shit going on in the news that you uh you weren't really ready for and I will I I I will take a moment here to uh bring to your attention a correction uh that I need to make. Not really a correction so much as an admission of I think I might have killed Betty White. So, I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) That's why. This is one of those little behind the curtains of production here. Uh, When we were doing our New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's Eve Day podcast recording. One of the things that I brought to the table. Yes, you did. See, now you remember. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that I was bringing to the table in, in joy and happiness in spite of 2021 and its dumpster fire nature was, uh, I, I closed out my little, my last little tidbit of thing was, and Betty White turned a hundred. Now notice I used the past tense turned. I did upon edit, edit that out of the show because I realized that Betty White's birthday was, and I think it was what, uh, like a, a, a week, week ago away. in January. Yeah. So yeah, it was, I was a it little was pre- Monday. It was Martin yeah. Luther King Day. I was a little premature in my celebration of Betty White and her 100th birthday. So I felt as the producer and editor, it was my responsibility to take that out so that it didn't cause an issue. And I'm, I'm not kidding. This is the series of, of events and how it went. Um, I finished up the edit. Uh, I got everything wrapped up. I started to do to do my deploy through the service that we use to 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 put the podcast out there, and I hit deliver. You know, I hit the go live thing. That podcast went up, and then while it was spooling up, I pulled up the news, (laughs) and Betty White had just passed away. And I mean it. I felt I fucking cursed Betty White to death. Um, and, and, and I genuinely felt bad. I genuinely felt that somehow I was cosmically responsible for some of this. It is all Uh, you. It it is. And I take it on me. I apologize to the world that I precipitated Betty White leaving us too soon. And by too soon, I mean ever. Um, so but yeah, there's there's all uh, we've lost so many people here in the past couple weeks. We lost Meatloaf, uh, you know, and you can have whatever feelings you want about him. I have complicated feelings about Meatloaf because uh, when I was uh, when I was a young man, I often got called Meatloaf because I was a rock and roll singer with really long hair who was fat. But we also lost uh, on I think it was the same day we lost. Uh, Bob Saget? Yeah, Bob Saget uh, passed. Well, we lost him last week. Or, yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. no, who died on the same day as Meatloaf? We we lost another one. Well, we, we lost Meatloaf, which I've been, um, it's kind of a bummer that we lost him. I, uh, well, we, we lost both members of that writing team, and, and as I've been going through their materials, 
that writing team was really on to something. Oh, Jim really Steineman? Yeah. yeah. Steineman. Jim Steineman, we, we should actually do a dive at some point in the future about Steineman. And he was such an eclectic weirdo in in both really good and sometimes slightly creepy ways. But as far as uh, musical chops and, and, and the way he wrote, he was, he was yeah, com- a yeah. completely the, the me- unique. The mechanisms he uses and yeah. everything and, else, uh, really, really good story. You know, and it's something to say too, that, you know, for having uh, as, and you know, for, for people in our generation, whether or not you loved it or hated it, Bat Out of Hell was unavoidable. Oh, you know, yeah. to, mm-hmm. to use, to use, uh, to reach back and use a term, uh, to use a turn of phrase that popped up in, uh, the Wayne's world movies, you know, the bad out of hell album was, you know, for our generation, it, it, it like showed up in the mailboxes attached to box of tide. I mean, it, everybody <laughs> had, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and it did have some absolutely brilliant and inspired and, music in it. Oh well, and I think everybody everybody bought it for the album cover, thinking they were getting a heavy metal album, <laughs> right? And, and then all of a sudden, they're listening. It was the, like, wait, what? Wait, it's like, <laughs> did Gilbert and Sullivan get involved? Well, you know, and that, I was, exactly. I was going to go that that route. I mean, this. I think the success of Bad Out of Hell was its mass appeal. Right, yeah. and it has all the elements. Every song has it, an it element like of show, show tunes for Gen X. There literally was something there for everybody. Um, you can imagine and, it and being I, on a stage in a play, being the soundtrack of a play, oh, or 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 like featured heavily on Glee. You know, right? Yeah, and that's just it. You know, Steinemann had a way of bringing that huge epic quality of a theatrical performance or a grand sweeping musical kind of thing from back in the day and contemporizing it and making it appeal, not only appeal, but making it be artistically and emotionally relevant to two generations later in much the same way. I'll say this in much the same way that um, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice did that with things like Starlight Express and Jesus Christ Superstar mm-hmm. and yeah, Phantom absolutely. of the Opera. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things where I kind of defy anybody to sit down and listen to the entire Bad Out of Hell album and not find at least one track that appeals to them. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that's that's really something to say. And not only that, to have had such a lightning strike of an album like that, which really, and for quite a while, let's just admit this, was kind of like everybody looked at it as Meatloaf's swan song. They had that one huge thing. Everything else was after was kind of, and you kind of thought he was done and he was going to be turning into an act that only showed up at state fairs or, or Las Vegas every Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah. But to come back well over, what is it? Two decades later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do uh, a bat out of hell. What is it? Two two or two. Where uh, I would yeah. do anything for love mm-hmm. and have yeah. such a huge hit again from the the same well of artistic inspiration, you know, there would be a lot of times where an artist or a writer or composer would go back to that as a touchstone and bring it up, but have have people kind of look at it more as a nostalgia thing. The bad out of hell too. The bad out of hell too. And I would do anything for love. That was a 
massive hit. And and what was such a master stroke about that is that Meatloaf was kind of a punchline. He at had that been point. for quite a while. He was and, at that point he was more and, known for his acting than he was for his music anymore. And, and instead of trying to escape it, he leaned into it and took ownership. Yeah, of he it. embraced it and went, you know what? If this is what y'all want from me, this and, is what you're gonna get. And, and there's nobody and that brilliant. does it like me. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was and genius. So, you know, Mr. Mr. Loaf from everybody <laughs> here at the Keep Your Hat On podcast, uh, there's a special place somewhere for you in the great beyond uh, where you're going to be able to be as dramatic as you and Jim envisioned music to and, be. And, and for me, he'll always be he'll always be remembered as Robert Paulson. Right? Big yeah. bitch tits, Bob. Come you on. know, I, I gotta I gotta say. Uh, at some point after after the initial you know um, shock of of you know he, him dying, uh, I did hear myself say in my head, "In death, he has a name." Right there, <laughs> yes. you go. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's what true. a what a loving tribute, uh, Ty. Yeah, <laughs> that, that really, that really is right. Well, you know, and uh, here, here's go ahead, but oh. you know, go ahead. Cool. I did. I didn't want to derail us. If you've got more on meatloaf, oh no, no, uh, I've got. I've no. got follow up. That's all. So just jump uh, in with whatever uh, well, else you have. Well, I had a. I had a few other people that I think we. We really. So, uh, so do I. And oh, I it think to we're ourselves pro- to Mark. Yeah. Um. One of the people. Uh. And this. This is the person that I mis. Uh, misremembered. Uh. You know, we lost two titans in comedy. Uh. Of course, everybody is familiar with uh, the loss of Bob Saget, which was a very, very sad thing. Um, Bob Saget, in my mind, was one of the most underrated performing comedians in modern comedy. Everybody thinks of him as, you know, the guy who did America's Funniest Home Videos and, you know, sitcoms and all that that business. Not after that documentary about the, uh, uh, not after the documentary about the the, aristocrats. The the aristocrats. aristocrats. And you know what? (laughs) I'm so happy that the, A, that the aristocrats was a movie and a thing. And B... That Bob Saget really, that's, I was really pleased in all the tributes in everything that were happening on social media after his uh, untimely passing, that people, instead of constantly reaching back to a 1980s sitcom, they said the 1980s sitcom thing is almost more of a, yeah, and more people were pointing to the aristocrats. Now, for our listeners who don't know, the aristocrats was a movie uh, was it about 15 years ago? Yeah, about right? so, 10, yeah, okay. 15 years. Yeah. There's a, there's a notorious and infamous joke that we won't do here. Uh, <laughs> not because I'm afraid of it, but because, you know, I'm afraid of it. Uh, and it, it is really is one of the filthiest jokes ever. Yeah. But when you talk about writing comedy, writing specifically writing a joke, a well-crafted joke most professional comedians will lean back and talk about the joke the aristocrats because by way of joke craft it is up there on the top of the mountain and what that really did that movie so many people particularly of our generation who grow up watching that stupid sitcom we had no real grasp or understanding of Bob Saget the comic. Bob Saget the comic was bluer than the sky and oh. 
yeah. filthy. Yeah, his yeah. Uh, his he, comedy he was, was he was he was revered among other comics for how filthy and how far he oh, went yeah. with that joke. That I there's mean, nothing that Andrew Dice Clay ever did that comes close to the absolute offense that Bob Saget could engender in people. Right. He could piss off or offend every single person in a 250-seat room full of comedy lovers who paid to see him. But that was his appeal. You saw this guy up there who was kind of the epitome of the dad vibe, but man, he was going to drag you through the muck backwards and make <laughs> you say thank you at the end. Yeah. That's right. Um, and of course, really where, where this led me is the other person who passed uh, either on the same day or very near the same day as Meatloaf did was another titan of comedy that I don't think people look at as a titan of Absolutely. comedy. And that was Louis Anderson. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, 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 I'll admit, I have not seen a whole lot of live comedy in my day. I had the ability by chance and circumstance to see Louis Anderson twice. And Louis Anderson is another comic who people don't often think about in, in the, the harsh, blue, dirty kind of comedy. He had his moments. He could be filthy. But he was more about being inappropriate in a funny and in, endearing way. But yeah. he was really, in my mind, he was absolutely brilliant. Nobody, there are very few people that riffed like Louis Anderson riffed and that worked the audience the way he did. If you go on YouTube, um, just type in Louis Anderson and then heckle and watching him shut down hecklers like a sport in itself it just and he oh, yeah. would decimate these people but not and he's out there picking but them off not yeah in a mean way what louis right. did and this is uh, a a skill or a talent that in my mind the really the best of the best comics can do is they'll shut down a heckler by illustrating how inappropriate the heckle was and how shallow it made the heckler look. I swear to God, there was when I when I saw him uh, at the Riverside Theater in Milwaukee many many years ago. Somebody started heckling him. I think it was about his weight. This was one of the times when Louis was really at his heaviest, and I don't even remember what the put down was. But I swear to God, this guy got up out of his seat and left the theater, red faced, going, "I am the." biggest schwanz there is and i'm gonna take my schwanzy self out to the to the parking lot have a cigarette <laughs> and think lot. about my yeah. life choices right. well i tell you what folks we're gonna come back we're not done with death yet we do have a couple other people that we need to or want to say goodbye to uh more properly but this is keep your head on in the narrowband broadcast network i'm andrew scott along with my good friends chris picano and ty robert anthony and we'll be right back on the other side of this don't go anywhere yeah, thank you. you know, I, yeah, I had yeah. forgotten. I just didn't think that a uh, 40-minute block of death was... <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. We, we should kind of tighten this up a little bit. Hey, everybody. Michael, your stalwart announcer here. The voice of the Keep Your Hat On podcast. 
We really hope you're enjoying the shows we put out every month and the bonus goofiness we try and throw in. If you do, we'd really appreciate your support. While we'd love it if you could help us out with a monthly donation by heading over to patreon.com nbbn, please don't forget that you can also support us by telling your friends, relatives, the hot Amazon delivery guy, hell, your potted fern, about the show and do the like, click, and subscribe thing. That's free, and it helps us out more than you might suspect. We just want to keep putting something good out into this bananas world at this extra bananas time. And we want you along for the ride. No matter what, thanks so much for audio visualizing. Now, let's get back to the show. And welcome back. This is Keep Your Hat on the Show, where hell even we don't know. I am here with Chris and Ty, and we're not here with Dr. Mark because he is off. I think he's currently sitting there watching his uh, new flooring come up the temperature before it gets installed. He's playing. He is. I think he is, actually. If I remember right, he said that he uh, misscheduled uh, one of his uh, new jam sessions. Uh, he's now uh, he's moving into the realm of professional auto harvest, uh, so he's going to be he's obviously going to be super busy with that. <laughs> but, <laughs> a lot of demand for auto harvest. Yeah. <laughs> but we had, uh, in the first segment we had uh, said goodbye to some of the people who have recently passed. We're we're, we're promising that we're not turning uh, this entire podcast into who died recently. But uh, well, we're not promising just yet. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's early in the year. We don't know else. But. Um, you know, we lost uh, a couple people that we had made reference to. Uh, we all decided that we did want to say goodbye to a few other people, and this is one that is very significant uh, to both Ty and I. Not that it's not significant to Chris, but um, and Ty and I are both uh, practicing Zen Buddhists, and really probably the most notable Zen Buddhist in the world, uh, especially through the... Uh, 60s and the 70s civil rights movement uh, was was a Vietnamese monk called Thich Nhat Hanh, and there's very there's a lot of pictures. If you if you just Google Dr. Martin Luther King, you'll see that Teacher Thich spent a lot of time with Dr. King and before and after his death, and really was. I would say he was many people's first inroad here in the West into an examination of not only Buddhism, but particularly Zen Buddhism. And um, he was a, a wonderful man. He had a stroke, what was it, Ty, about 10 yeah, years ago? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Th- I don't know. I think, his, it was, uh, his... I think it might have been more like five years ago. Well, you're sitting in front of a computer. Type that up and get us the right number. But... Um, he, he also was really one of the first people, and, and, and look, uh, we're all going to knee-jerk at this term a little bit, okay? But he was one of the real inroads here in the West to the idea of mindfulness, um, simple mindfulness, paying attention to where you are and what you're doing and really fully embodying what you're doing from taking the garbage out to meditation to being present with the person that you share space with. Um, you know, mindfulness has really turned into kind of a kind of a beaten up term. It's it's I don't want to say it's overused. I think what what's happened to it is that it's it's become 
a, a catchphrase for just things that make you happy. And that's, that, that's really a dumbing down of the term, but, uh, he was, he was very important to Zen Buddhism around the world. And, uh, Ty and I, um, our teachers, um, are all very, I would, I would say that they all have incorporated at one time or another, um, ideas that teacher Tish put out into the world for everyone to employ in their own spiritual life. No matter, no matter if you're a practicing Buddhist or a practicing Catholic or a practicing Jew, he did not, he really was very ecumenical, uh, and, and, and cross-cultural in many ways. Uh, and it was a beautiful soul and left us, uh, last night. So, uh, a few things, the, the stroke, uh, was in 2014. Okay. So I was a little um, less than 10 years. I thought it was in, well, I didn't think it was incredible or notable. It, it drew my attention that, that he died exactly at midnight. Mm. Um, yeah. What a, what an example of what we could all be. Yeah. The right? living to your potential. Yeah. Something, I don't know. There's some kind of weird cosmically spiritual significance of punching out at midnight. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that strikes that strikes very Yeah, my my time my time here is finished. Synchronous. And yeah. uh, and what yeah. we what we in our tradition uh say when someone leaves is gate gate paragate parasamgate bodhisvaha, which is Sanskrit that translates essentially into gone, gone, gone beyond, cross the stream to enlightenment, hail. Uh and uh to all the followers of beautiful tender teacher Tish, uh, we're with you and, uh, moving on down the list. One of the other people that we lost that was really significant to our generation of film geeks is, uh, Sidney Poitier. Well, multiple generations. Well, yeah, but I, mean, I, I think really. And not just in film. No, no, right? exactly. Also, uh, again, another Titan of social and racial justice. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, he, well, and he brought social and racial justice. He kicked the door open in Hollywood on that particular issue. He was really I mean, one of the first black leading men. Yes. And, and just, just his presence as a person and as an actor made him undeniable. You could not deny that this man deserved that moniker and deserved the roles he got. Right. And I think he he really he opened up a lot of people's thinking, you know, really profoundly misguided and presumptuous thinking, uh, particularly early in his career. You know, in the in the in the fifties and sixties, the the roles he took uh, as as a leading man, he he changed a lot. Particularly, I think a lot of directors and producers and casting directors. Oh yeah, he he broke down this thinking of. The idea that that there aren't roles for actors of color, or that certain certain roles should not be played by actors mm -hmm. of color. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything his early stuff. You know, like I could, I just think off the top of my head, "To Sir with Love" in the heat of the night. Uh, the big one that yeah. jumps out for me from the '60s was "Guess Who's Coming to Dinner." Yes, but then really, what? was a lightning strike in our popular consciousness in the seventies was in the heat of the night. 
um, and, and, and the character of Virgil Tibbs. Uh, at that point, if you said anything about Sidney Poitier, it had to be, the playing field was leveled. You were no longer talking about race. You were talking about a master actor at the apex of the mastery of his craft, and you would stack him up with any titan of the day, any major actor. Uh, and, and, and all the, the other thing that I just remember from being, you know, living in that era was how many huge names that, oh boy, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this in our generation, there were, there was a not insignificant subset of white people who would always say, and as a black actor. In, in order to, I don't know, like what, parenthetically qualify for some weird yeah, reason? An, it, okay, it, It's an asterisk, which is offensive. But I mean, all the white, the major white leading actors of the time, Robert Redford, Jimmy Kahn, uh, um, you know, all those big people, Brando, when they talked about Sidney Poitier, there was no parenthetical qualification of as a black actor. They were all in awe of this human being and his ability to perform on screen. And it it had yeah, too. it he transcended color, but at the same time, he never ever left his racial identity behind. And that right. really to me, that that speaks to that that drive that he had with people and in locked arm and arm with people like Harry Belafonte, um, mm -hmm. who were like, it, it, it's, it's time to begin this racial reckoning. And part of the way I'm going to do this is by just being a good human being first and being an actor first. But if you want to talk about race, I'm here for that. Yep. Absolutely. And the last person and that we're going to be saying goodbye to, uh, is somebody that, you really wanted to talk about Chris. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and 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 this dovetails nicely because as another person who was really instrumental in changing their industry's perspective on race, I feel it's really important for us to acknowledge the passing of Andre Leon Talley, uh, who is not a household word, certainly not among, you know, straight Gen X white guys like us. No, I would agree with that. But he was incredibly important in the fashion industry. He was he was he was an absolute force of nature in the fashion industry. Yeah, and for our listeners uh, who aren't familiar, Andre Leon Talley was most famously known in popular culture culture as uh, the editor of Vogue magazine. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. That explains. I couldn't. You know, I I this person was not on my radar until his death, unfortunately. Um, but it's, it's I don't think there's here. anything to apologize for, for that. He was one of those people where, yeah, he was, he was not somebody that we thought about by name, but when you think about, when you mm -hmm. think about their impact, you know, my consumption of news media is, is not has, um, wide open has we'll others. We'll say it's tightly curated um, these days. And it didn't matter for me whether I was on, uh, NBC or whether I was watching Al Jazeera, 
there was a lot of focus on this individual. And even at one point on NBC, you know, it, they kind of rolled through like Meatloaf and Poitier and, and then- All the big, big popular and then they went, names. Yeah. And they went straight to this, this guy and then they would spend like 15, 30 seconds doing this big montage. Yeah. And I just wasn't, I, I didn't see the relevance. I don't see the relevance because he's not on my radar. Yeah, and let me see if I can, if I can help frame it in a little bit. Um, you know, first of all, in his position as editor at Vogue, he very much opened the door for, um, I will say, equal footing for uh, black models. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, Tyra Banks and, and uh, you know, you can go down the list of names. I think it's fair to say they would not have achieved the high degree of success they would have had it not been for his influence on the industry. The other piece that I think is important about Tally is what he was not. And in the 90s, the the modeling industry, the fashion industry was incredibly predatory. Oh, gosh, yes. And you, and you had agents and you had publishers who were constantly taking advantage of young girls. Yeah, there was slimy, and, funny business going on and, all and over it was, the place. It was basically you you sleep with me or you've got no career kind of yeah. kind of stuff going on. And Andre Talley did did a massive amount to help protect the women in the fashion industry. Yeah, he really was kind of a, a monolith of ethics in an industry and a world that that had none. Yeah, that that were a very few at best. Um, but also one of the things that he was really noted for was, um, how he advanced the, the careers and opportunities of minorities writing for Vogue and doing, uh, doing fashion critique and commentary. Um, you know, he was one of those people where I like you, Ty, I only knew him in a very limited way. Um, but even though I'm, i Definitely will not call myself a fashionista, um, but even I understand how important Vogue has been over the last, you know, four or so decades. Um, Vogue has shaped conversations that le- that got outside of the fashion mm-hmm. world, oh, and yeah. that it was piloted by him, by Tally. Um, you know, we owe him a, a debt of gratitude because he changed the conversation in so many ways for so many people and really did, it seems, try to help and support and build from people, you know, from, like you said, Tyra Banks through, uh, Mariah Carey, Beyonce, even people like, um, uh, like, uh, Serena Williams, you know, he helped, he helped them, he helped them get their ground in fashion design themselves. Sure. And, and let's go back even even farther in the history, because while he did not uh, maybe spark their initial careers, he worked hand-in-hand hand with two absolute titans, uh, Grace Jones yeah. and... Um, oh, Imam, yeah. Oh. And so, so they worked as a as as sort of a collective force together, and and really bringing bringing Grace Jones into the crossover of the fashion industry, 
that that was really seminal and often overlooked and and he was he was pretty instrumental in that i mean they worked they worked yeah. together to to make that happen and you know i think i think it's just what what what's so special and important about him and and circling back to the fact that you know he's not a household word we didn't know his name we didn't understand his legacy until his passing um it's it's that he worked quietly on his little corner of the world and yet made such a profound massive rippling effect that's one of those things man it, uh, you know you throw a tiny tiny rock into a pond those ripples build up but i think we're going to put a end point on our discussion of death yeah. here now for real uh but uh you know to our dear listeners maybe look into the lives of some of these people that we mentioned and uh see how maybe they changed their small corner of the world but at the same time see how maybe they influenced your small corner of the world but our small corner of the world is turning the corner we will be back in just a minute a lot of corners and with a little bit of fun a little bit of fun this is keep your hat on i'm andrew that's chris that's robert we'll be right back don't go anywhere seriously no 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 put the hand out don't touch them You're tuned to NBBN, the narrowband broadcast network. The focus is on you. And welcome back for the last segment of this show. I don't know why I'm talking like this. I sound like a robot having somebody adjusting their underwear. I'm Andrew Scott. That is Chris Vacano, and that is Ty Robert Anthony. And we're going to play a little game here because we're all bored. Dr. Peterson isn't here to humor us anymore, so or at least not right now. He'll be back next time, he promises us. But we're going to take a minute and play... The Wheel of Misfortune. That's right. I don't know. Should I call this the Wheel of Misfortune? It's not it's all not misfortune. Exactly misfortune. It's uh, I, I, you know, I, uh, I almost want to say maybe we'll just call it the Wheel of Random uh, Shit. Yeah, or or <laughs> I, 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 I was I was trying to think of, of of a riff on the Spanish Inquisition since it's you know throwing a question. Oh, nobody expects that. Yeah. Well, I tell you um, what, we'll come up with some groovy title for this segment, but this, quite frankly, right now is called Let's Talk About Random Shit. We're going to spin the wheel here, and we're going to come up with a topic and see what happens. So here we go. We're pulling the wheel. The stupidest thing I did today. Who's got something? Oh, I'll take that one. So <laughs> Chris is Chris oh, is falling on that I'm grenade. I'm at the bit. I've got I've got oh, one. Sure. So uh, yeah. So I get up this morning, and you know when I wake up, you know I'm 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 an old guy now. Uh, you know my my eyes are kind of bleary, and I'm I'm used to that. And it usually takes about ten or fifteen minutes for my eyes to clear. Uh, you know, to you know, for my vision to really clear. Make it sound like you have glaucoma. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad. It's just, you know, it's more just weed, for, son. For more my, weed for my eyes to sharpen up and 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 for me to get you know the world is clear. So uh, uh, lately, I've been you know I I put my glasses on first thing, 
And so I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a good 10, 15 minutes in. And I'm like, shit, you know, what the hell is wrong with my eyes? They're still completely bleary. I, f- I feel and, this. And, I feel what's happening and, here. And uh, wait, let me, let me know, get a line. I go to, I go to wait for I it. Go, uh, wait I, for I, it. You know, I go to the, I, I, I go to the restroom to do my morning, my morning stuff. And not a place you want to have impeded eyesight at that time. Uh, yeah, of that's, day that's true. That's true. And and I take my glasses off to wash my face, and suddenly everything is sharp and crystal clear. And I'm looking at my glasses, going, "Shit, Son these are bitch. fucking filthy." <laughs> I thought you did what I did, where you grabbed the wrong pair of glasses and you put on your readers when you needed no, your distance glasses. No, and it's, whoa, it was just that I'm my not... glasses. Why does everything look so I, and, tiny? And it, it caught me off guard because my glasses, you know, usually are, are really clean. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it's like I'm just so used to not being able to see that uh, that now I don't even know why I'm not able to see. <laughs> yeah, it's like what what reason today? Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad to hear that you uh, didn't have any uh, significant uh, aim issues <laughs> while you were blind in the bathroom. So let's spin the wheel again, and you're killing me, Smalls. Who's got something that's grinding their gears? Ty? Ty, I'm counting on you, man. Wow. I know you. What is grinding my gears? What's what's under your skin right now, son? <sighs> you know what? It's something that's been coming up a lot lately uh, in conversation. Not that I have a conversation with a lot of people. But, um, is this lag between... Not because you're a sad loner, it's just because yeah. you're trapped in a bubble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. You like people. I, li- I do like people. Well, sort of. But... Sometimes. Sometimes. Given the right circumstances. Is the, is the latency that recently that I've been noticing with the CDC? Oh, um, someone told me like months ago, uh, when this Omicron thing was really starting to take off, somebody told me, Hey, don't use the cloth masks anymore. Right. Yeah. Only the KN95s, uh, are, are really going to hold you through this. And there was not a lot of supporting out there in the internets, in the intertubes. There wasn't a lot of thing at that time to support that statement. Um, uh, I disagree. Let's argue. I couldn't find anything. Um, that it was the first, I mean, we, we, we saw that coming. Um, uh, look, I'll back you on the fact that it's been really challenging to look at our governmental agencies for guidance that engenders a sense of confidence about any of this. Um, you know, I, I, here, I knew off the top that once something became more communicable, having seen so many people with cloth masks on, that wasn't going to cut it with Omicron. It didn't. Because of all the, the, you know, how many people have you seen that have had a properly fit cloth mask? Ty, I will will admit, being that I had one of your masks that you left here for a while, um, you know, your design was pretty good, but- Was that a cloth mask that I left behind? Yeah, it was when we were doing the deck. Yeah. you know, any little gap, we're talking about something that is four to five times, and don't quote me on that, but it's some factor number of, uh, more communicable. That if you're breathing past your mask, 
you're being exposed. And not only that, you're exposing somebody else. But again, I want to back you on, it would be nice, and I don't know where the damage really happened. Um, was this from a previous administration that had punched holes in the... Yeah, I had this conversation and it totally made sense, right? Absolutely made sense. Couldn't find anything supportive, at least in the mainstream media, in the Google boxes. I couldn't find yeah. a study that was up to date that was saying, hey, people are really... Uh, uh, concerned that if you don't wear the 95s, that Omicron's going to get through. Didn't find any of that uh, that day or the next two days. And then it's. I think a lot of that, though, has to do with the fact that the CDC has a responsibility when it says something to back it with research and peer reviewed facts. Right, which is why and I started comes, looking at that. That comes afterwards, that spools up. It takes a little while to spool that information up. But it was just this week that they finally came out and no, said, oh, yeah, no, wasn't it? It's well, okay uh, to be wrong. No. I, I, this week I, or I, at the end of the last 24 week? hours, Ty, 24 hours after Omicron was announced, there was a piece on CNN that said, and it uh, literally okay. said as its headline, those cloth masks ain't going to cut and, it and anymore. I don't know that, that, yeah, I mean, where I wanted to chime in here is... I don't know that we can lay that entirely at the feet of the CDC, although we can't entirely absolve them of, of this. What, what, I, I'm, I'm in here sort of getting my gears ground by, by this too. And what, what I perceive is that there was a lack of crystal clarity in the messaging. Yeah. And, 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 you know, part of that is on the sender, but part of that is on the relayer as well. And so I think, I think, you know, you mentioned CNN, I think with the other news agencies, I think in terms of getting the information out, maybe it was a little unclear to them. And so they just sort of made the best of it that they could. Well, but this isn't the first be. time there's been a slow, and this is what I was pointing to is this isn't the first time that there's been a slow rollout by the CDC of something that other agencies including worldwide agencies are already are, are already posting up and saying right oh yeah and i mean look we only have to look so far back as and i can't believe that i said that because it's making me itch um the beginning of the pandemic in 2019 where um you know remember we all were being told that masks nah right you know um the, world the one health thing that was i already want, on the it. one thing that i want to the one thing that I want to say that, and I, I don't want to come off as an apologist, because look, there were mistakes that were made as far as communication and getting out information to people. Water under the bridge at this point, okay? Um, this is a really complex thing that we've never dealt with before in modern times. You know, the, the, the best model that we had before COVID-19 was the swine flu outbreak in the 70s. And that came with its own baggage uh, by way of... We had the H1N1. It, uh, yeah, but it right. didn't affect anywhere near what we're dealing with now. When we're talking about modeling this that we're going through right now, the best we can do is look back to the the Spanish influenza pandemic of, of a hundred years of ago. Hundred My years understanding ago. though was that there was a whole unit of personnel 
that there was a battle plan mm-hmm. for this next big thing yeah. that got totally dismantled and thrown in the trash by somebody else. Yes. Yeah. And so we're we gonna... did have a kind of a plan. Well, we kind of did, but that plan was scuttled by the powers that be in the United States at that time. They literally threw out the playbook. I don't want to go down the politics route with this. What I I. do, what I do want to do though, is make people aware, or at least ask them, ask them to consider that we were all, and by all, I mean like our governmental agencies, we were all kind of learning this as we went along. And uh, you know, you you guys can point at me as being a Pollyanna here in this situation, I guess, and I'll I'll own it. That we were able to learn about this virus, that we were able to learn about its levels of communicability and its transmissibility, uh, and we were able to suddenly understand. Really, one of the biggest turnarounds that we've experienced in this is our government. You know, I mean, we would all see pictures of life in Asia and uh, Southeast Asia with people running around wearing masks in June and stuff like that. And we would all kind of chuckle from our seats of white privilege going, oh, look at those people. They're so silly. They're running around because their air quality is bad or this or that or the other thing. No, Asia has operated with the face mask model for decades not because of air pollution, not because their diseases are worse than ours, but because of the simple understanding that impacting your neighbor invisibly with your health is a terrible, terrible thing to do. And it is your social responsibility to your neighbors to operate in such a way as you don't impact them, get them sick, make them die, and prolong a pandemic longer than it has to. And we stopped and looked at that and went, oh, you know, maybe this mask thing. And then the research started because, you know, the CDC has to have research behind it. So people had to do research. And one of the things that I was most impressed with is the independent research that people did. People in specialty uh, areas of science like fluid dynamics, they were the ones, not some big think tanky thing attached to some university. It was some small guy with an, you know, an LED laser and, uh, you know, a a vaporizer model, and he was firing stuff through masks. That study, and I'll try to find it um, because the visualizations of it were really amazingly illustrative. Those people were the ones that made the CDC go, oh shit, these masks things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that, but that's what I'm saying is, is here we are, um, we are, we're, we're like, what, two years into this, yep. right? And the CDC still seems to, to lag behind. Uh, other, to be a bit flat-footed. Other organizations like the World Health Organization or other governments uh, uh, like Britain and Oh, man, don't Europe. hold up Britain as a shining um, example of anything right now as far as COVID goes. But they've been kind of... I mean, part of the reason that they're where they are is because they have been kind of decisive about some stuff. Uh, um, the World Health Organization comes out with something, and I'm just 
And I'm asking out of curiosity because I don't know what that bureaucracy looks like. I don't know these people, um, but it just seems like I would like to know what the hitch in the giddy up is, good or bad, um, in the CDC. I think you tripped over the word and the word is bureaucracy. There is no way to be- Again. There there is, yeah, there is no mechanism- hitch in the giddy up? That really allows the CDC to be, uh, to use a businessy term- uh, to be nimble or agile, you know, agile. Yeah. yeah. Or however you want to do it. All right. We've yeah. once again devolved into COVID well, panic talk. Well, well, I, I, and if, if I could, I'd like to circle us back to, you know, this topic of masks right now, because what I really find bothersome is not even the, the flat footedness, which, okay, you've persuaded me that maybe, you know, maybe it, there was a little bit of lag there. Uh, what bothers the hell out of me is the people on the receiving end, you know, Joe Schmo out in the world, who have twisted the message in their own heads to serve their own benefit to where they're saying, well, yeah, now even the CDC says masks don't work. Well, no. Well, that's that's one of the ugly byproducts of this mixed messaging that we have been getting absolutely no question. It does mm-hmm. empower those mm-hmm. who are trying to politicize or otherwise twist the message. It gives them more fuel for their fire, but I really do want to stop talking about this now because we are at the end of the show <laughs> and I'm going to spin the wheel yeah. one more time. And because science. All right. I got one. This is my this is this is my wheelhouse. We have landed on little factoids. And as we wrap up Why does it just have to be your wheelhouse? Because you got one and Chris got one. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> little factoids. We will leave you, gentle listeners around the world, with this. If you were to take all the biomass in all the oceans in the world and put it all together and make it be something that you could meet with face-to-face. Two out of every five creatures that you meet would be a jellyfish. I know too many jellyfish. We are... That's a lot of damn jellyfish. And I I get mildly squinked out every time I think about this. A not insignificant portion of all the ocean water is just jellyfish. So with that, enjoy your tentacle dinner when you go out for sushi. This has been Keep Your Hat On. I've been Andrew Scott. That's been Christopher Vacano. That, of course, is Ben Ty Robert Anthony. And we promise we'll have a Dr. Peterson next time. But until then, wear your mask. Definitely get your boosters. Take care of your fellow man. And remember, we may end up miles from here. Take care, everybody. Again, be good to each other, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, there's a chunk of time you can't get back. From Portland, Oregon, this has been Keep Your Hat On, a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is a narrow-band broadcast network production in association with PodSquadPDX.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, associate producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster. Available at VacanoCreative.com. 
Audio and video production by Andrew Scott, available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com and don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess. Fine. We just were incapable. For 45 minutes, 30 minutes. It's like it's it's like uh, <laughs> some kind of goal that we'll never reach, but we 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 keep trying, keep trying to get to the top. NBBN, the Narrow Band Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.